so this week, this week, Pam, Miss Pam and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. I love that tuxedo, and I don't know why you have the word stuck next to me there. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this. I'm, you know, after 38 years, this marriage thing, I've got this. I got it. So Thursday evening was our anniversary dinner, and so we, we celebrated, and, and, and it was great. And a couple of days before that, we actually had dinner together where she had worked late, and so uh, I was to meet her at a restaurant, and I got there before she did, so she just texted me and said, you order. And I'm thinking... 38 years of being together, I got this, I know what she likes. So it just so happened that where we were, they were having 99 cent taco night. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is God. <laughs> so I ordered her favorite tacos. I ordered chicken in a soft shell. And, and I got what I like, which is ground beef in, in a hard shell. And she showed up, we talked for a few minutes, and then the food came, and it was perfect timing, and so she unwrapped hers, looked at it, and just smiled at me, and we began talking. And from that point on, it was a fiasco, because the, the, the chicken was, was really runny, and so as she would pick up the taco, it was soggy, and it started dripping down her arms, and then, and then it landed on her blouse. She was going through stacks of napkins trying to get that all covered, and she's trying to be very pleasant about this, but it is just dripping everywhere. She's just covered with it. She's covered with the smell. She's gone from, from Estee Lauder to the essence of Pollo Nicaragua or something. I don't know. It just, it, it just, and so we're getting done, and, and she's been pleasant through the whole thing, and, and she didn't really say this, but this is what I heard her say. And if you're not married, eventually, if you do get married, you'll understand that. She said to me, what I heard was, just for future reference, my favorite taco is not chicken in a soft shell. Mr. After 38 years of marriage, you got this. But it's beef in a hard shell. Happy anniversary. That's what I heard. I don't got this. See, the issue is this. It's the word we're going to use today called fallible. Fallible is simply this, being capable of making mistakes or being erroneous. How many of you feel at times you're fallible? Yep. And you that didn't raise your hands, you are at this moment fallible. We don't like being fallible. We work really hard not to fail. But the fact is this, we not only have the ability, but the likelihood that we will fail. And, and so we work hard at this thing because we think that if we just do it just right, then everything's going to turn out perfect. It'll, it'll, it'll just land right. So that if, if I treat my, my wife perfectly, if I get this all right, then there'll be no chance for problems, divorce, separation, it, 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 it'll just, it just can't happen to me. If I eat healthy and I exercise, then I won't die until age 95. If I raise my kids according to Dr. Lehman's principles, then they never will rebel. If I get a 4.0 consistently for four years at Gannon, when I get out, I will find the perfect job. William S. Paley 
was the founder of the CBS network. And this guy was so convinced of his infallibility that in his arrogance, the beginning of his will read this way, if I die. <laughs> Jim Fix was the author of the 1977 best-selling book, The Complete Book of Running. He's credited with starting the fitness movement in America. Uh, he really pushed the whole idea of running for health and that there were so many healthy benefits to running. And did I mention he died at age 52 after running? The coroner said he died of a massive heart attack that came as a result of two of his coronary arteries so, so sufficiently blocked that he really needed bypass surgery. That's a fallacy. That's being fallible. In all honesty, if you were here in 1995 when Pam and I first arrived, you know that, that one of the values we stated was this, that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of right relationships. And if you walked with us through these years, you know that I've had staff issues at times where they have gone sour because the relationships were not right. And in my arrogance, I used to think that if I just did it right, then it would be absolutely perfect. But the problem is that you can't live by if I die, because sometimes things just die that you really worked hard at, and it just didn't work because we're fallible. You say, well, does that mean that I'm stuck in this whole misery of failure? The psalmist addresses that. My dad died last October. My mom and dad walked together around the world for 64 years. They went from Syracuse to Springfield to Saginaw to Sacramento to Swaziland. Anything starting with an S seemed to be the place that they would arrive back to Springfield. And then he died. My mom, at this point in her life after that, said that she felt like she was just wandering. She felt really fallible. And the psalmist describes it this way in Psalm 107, where we're going to park for this morning. The psalmist said this, Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty, and they nearly died. And my mom says that there are parts of her life that she just really feels have died. It's that feeling you get when you thought you were on the right path, and suddenly you are lost. You feel lost. You feel out of place, you feel unprotected, you feel unprepared, and it could have happened because you had a foolish decision that you made, or it could be that suddenly it just seems like it's thrust upon you. That The word for loss that's used in this verse actually means to have been on the path, and now there is no path, it's gone, or you wandered off the path. You feel like you're... You're wandering without direction. You, you feel like the community that you were a part of suddenly has disappeared, and you're just, you just feel alone. My mom says that the holidays are the toughest. Even with family close by, she said they have their own gatherings, and they'll invite her, but she just doesn't feel like she used to. She said the evenings are tough, too. And, and even when my dad was going through his dementia before they had to place him in a facility where they could care with him better than my mom could, she said even when he was home with dementia, she said, I, I, I could still feel the presence of someone who loved me. 
For 64 years, they worked at two becoming one flesh, and now she is in a spot where she's trying to find out who she is. She's lost. She's fallible. She's stuck. Tyler was our friend who had an affair with a girl in his youth group that he was supposed to be leading and to show them how to follow Jesus. As a result, he lost his wife, he lost his two kids, he lost his job, he lost his credentialing. And, and in those moments when, when normally when you're in crisis in a community, the people would gather around you and, and, and walk you through it. He had pushed everybody aside. And even when, when all of this was discovered, he kept pushing people back, not allowing them in. And the person he was going to, to try to feel connected to someone was the girl that he was having an affair with, only to find out that she had brought a lawsuit against him. And suddenly he feels trapped. The psalmist declares that by saying this in verse 10. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor, and they fell, and no one was there to help them. It's a description of Israel. It's a description of, of, of maybe some of us in this room. Israel understood what it was to be trapped. They understood what it was to, to feel alone, to feel lost. The time comes, and it was that case in Israel's life, the time comes when we keep telling God to leave us alone. And he does. And now we feel trapped. As a result of, of being alone away from God, Israel is then invaded, abducted, and then enslaved. That is what happens when we call, we, when we say, we say we're living in sin. And we talked about sin last week. And, and I, if you weren't here, please get to the podcast and listen, because it will give you even more color and context to what I'm saying this morning. Sin is a, an overt action of rebellion whereby we rebel against God, against God's will, saying, God, leave me alone. And then he does, because we flaunt our sinful nature, which is, I can do this. We discovered last week that sin really is a portal of destruction. It opens up our lives so that what God would normally protect us against comes rushing in. And what happens is that sin takes us further than we wanted to go. And it, it costs more than we wanted to pay. And so the psalmist describes it by saying this in verse 17. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food and they were knocking on death's door. Our failure zaps our strength. At times, he says, it makes us feel as if we suffer, that we feel sick, that we feel wounded. And life becomes dark and gloomy. We feel we're enslaved, and the scripture says that, that he felt enslaved like iron chains had been wrapped around him. And we're broken because there's no one there to rescue us. We are trapped. But see, then there are those moments when you didn't do anything wrong. You've been following God, and you've been enjoying life, and you've been doing what you're supposed to be doing, and suddenly life just explodes around you. And the psalmist describes that in verse 23, and some went off to sea in ships plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power and action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. 
Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. Can you see the picture? Up high on the waves and met down, the, the waves were that huge. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. These adventures, adventurers are just enjoying life the way that God designed for it. And suddenly this storm, whether God sent it or allowed it, it showed up. And they are terrorized. And they have no way of solving this problem. There are those moments when you walk with Jesus that you say, I trusted God and he blew it. And we become disillusioned. Where was God? You know, I, I thought about this community of faith when I was reading this and I've, I've watched as, as some of you have had to deal you weren't expecting it, but suddenly the, the winds of death blew, the storm of death blew into your life. It was, it was, it was catastrophic. It wasn't even planned. It was just, you didn't know it was going to happen. It just, it just came. And then you have to sit there with your children and explain to them how death came into the family. And when they say, why did, why did God take mommy? You have no answers. Some of you have gone and and, and, and you felt really good about purchasing that house. You said, this is our step, only to find out two or three weeks later after you sign the mortgage payments that, that the Erie School District is going to lay you off. We weren't expecting that storm. You, you've hit your stride. You're, you're really good. You feel healthy, and, and, and things are together, and then you find that lump. You go, where did this storm come from? What, what did I do wrong? We've lost control. We've lost faith. We're disillusioned. And we start saying, I failed somewhere for this storm to hit me, so what did I do wrong? Or God failed. What did he do wrong? But somebody failed, and here I'm stuck. I want to propose to us today that we're not stuck. And the way that we get out of being stuck, it may just seem so simplistic, but it's real, and it's this. We get unstuck by crying out. Verses 6, 13, 19, and 28 all say the same thing. And we'll look at verse 6. It says this, Lord, help. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Even I can pray that one. Lord, help. They cried in their trouble. They cried in their trouble. Can, can I give you a, a picture of that? Can I, I need about th these two rows right here. Come up here by me. Just, just come on up. Okay. So th this, is, this is how he describes us. Just surround me, okay? Surround me. How close? You're... <laughs> In a moment, you'll find out, sweetie. Come here. All right. All right. So the word trouble there actually means this. Now push in, push in, and just start squeezing, okay? All right, there we go. Okay, get off. All right, so. All right. That, that is the word trouble. It means that when pressures and the things that... that, that you detest and bring pain, squeeze in on you. You feel it. Now, he says, don't, he said, he's not saying do this. Press in again. It says don't do this. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You don't do that, okay? Instead, you do this. Pull back in. He says this. You do this. Help! Did you hear that? I did. Okay. Have a seat. It means, the word actually means cry for help, means to shriek. He said, I want you with everything within you to cry out and say, God, there's something wrong here. I'm reading this great book by a Jewish rabbi who talks about the Jewish perspective of God, and he said, sometimes God needs to be confronted. He said, you go to God and say, hey, this is not right. What are you doing? 
You mean he's not going to go and you're out? No. So you cry out and you say, God, what is this? Why does God care? Because this whole psalm begins with the context of why he cares. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? He's good, for his steadfast love endures how long? Forever. Oh, give thanks. The actual wording means this, to throw out, to throw out a confession. Oh, give thanks. Lord, here's my confession that you are good. And that's an incredible word, good. It has a lot of color to it. It means to be bountiful. It means to be beautiful. It means to be cheerful. It means when you come to God, declare that when you come to God, he's not grumpy about you arriving. He is happy you're there. So next time you cry out to God, don't see him wandering off because you messed up and he's over here saying, you know, as soon as you clear up your attitude, I'll talk to you. Instead, he's like this. Hey, what took you so long? I've been waiting for you. And he is beautiful. When you arrive, it is not some gloomy thing, but the beauty of God just lights up the place. You know what it's like when, when you, you go someplace and the aesthetically it is just gorgeous and it go, ah, feels so good. Like in the middle of winter when you arrive in Miami. <sighs> and he is bountiful. The word bountiful doesn't mean, okay, I'll give you a little. It means here, I'll give you everything I've got. Let me pour this out on you, for he is good. See, I believe that we in the church should begin to understand who God is, and we sang it this morning. And you heard it over and over again, this whole expression of his love. If we begin to understand his love, we'll begin to understand how we can have faith in him. He says, give thanks to the who? Lord. It is the intimate name of a covenant God, Yahweh. And only the people who are in covenant can really use the name. Give thanks, O Lord, I cast out this whole thing to you, and you are Lord because you are the covenant God. You are the one who brings steadfast love. The word steadfast actually has at its root the word vanishing, vanishing point. And the intent of the word is this, that when it comes to his steadfast love, you cannot find the vanishing point. There is no place where it faded off like your TV signal comes back and forth. It doesn't do that. It is solid and there in your face the whole time. God's love has not wavered a bit. It's been there the whole time. And that word love, steadfast love, is actually, we've talked about this before, it means this, he's big in commitment. That he will not give up on you. So the deal is this, whether you're lost because somebody else, you trusted somebody else and they got you lost, or you trusted yourself and now you've trapped yourself, or you trusted God and now you feel disillusioned because you don't think he did it right. The psalmist says, you cry out to him. But you say, but wait, 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 but I fail. I'm, I'm, I'm fallible, and, and so why would God deal with me? It's simply because of this, that God embraces our fallibility. Can you just get this in your head and help me get it in my head? We are going to make a mess of things. We're going to, we're, we're going to blow it. I'm sure that when Pam and I got married, 
on June 5th, 1976, that she didn't look at me and go, he is so perfect. If she, if she thought that, 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 that got taken care of in the first two weeks. I remember the first time she turned to me, and I, I, I was supposed to do something, and I didn't turn in the right spot, and the sweet, sweet girl turned to me and said, what's wrong with your head? <laughs> the same thing that's been there for like 38 years. Let's get to the place that we understand that we are fallible and that God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for relationship. He embraces our fallibility. So then in our disillusionment, here's what he says. Psalm 107, verse 29, he stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. You remember the story of Jesus. He says to the disciples, okay, you guys, I'm not going to go with you right now, but you get in the boat and go over there. We need to get some rest, so you take the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. Get over there. They get halfway there, and a big storm blows up. And if you've ever been to, to Israel and, and you've been to the Sea of Galilee, they'll tell you that the winds can come through there, and because of the way it's configured, immediately there can be a horrendous storm just out of nowhere. So they're caught. The boat's being swamped, and they think they're going to die. And Jesus suddenly shows up walking on the water and as if he's going to bypass them. And they cry out. See, I like that. They cry out. They didn't go, shall we say anything? Shall we talk to him about this? Because he looks like he's heading over to the other side to meet us, but maybe he should come over and help us because, you know, I think we're in trouble here. No, they screamed out. Hey, come over here. And you know the story that he brought peace to their situation and taught them how to dance on the water. I want to encourage us to understand that when you think the storm has come and you are, you are disillusioned with God and you think that while the storm is there, Jesus is on the seashore eating fish and chips, don't go there. I want to propose to you that when God sends a storm, he also parks himself in the middle of it and teaches us how to dance on that which terrorizes us. You say, well, wait, wait. Uno momento. Peter sank. Get out of that one. Yeah, Peter sank. But Peter got pulled back up again. And we have this picture, because we never go by, beyond the story. It, it says that Peter sank, and Jesus grabbed hold of him. They got back up. Well, you think Jesus then drug him over to the boat? <laughs> they walked together back to the boat. That Jesus finished and taught him, if you will, how to dance on the water. I want to promise you that while you're in the storm, and there may be a storm around you now, if you cry out to God, he will walk you to the place of peace. He'll get you there. I don't know how he does it. I, I, I don't know how to explain this, only to say there are moments that I just cry out to God and say, I don't understand what you're doing, and I don't think it's fair, and here are the things that I think are wrong, but I have nowhere else to go, so I'm going to trust you no matter how long it takes. And then I think by that point, he's going to say, oh, well, if you feel that way, then we'll solve it. Sometimes he says, okay, we'll give this a shot. See how long you can wait. Okay, I didn't mean it exactly that way. But he pulls us to the place we need to be so that there is peace. And in fact, there's peace in the storm. You say, but you, you don't understand. I did this to myself, so, so I have to get myself out of this. Oh, wait, wait, what? You think God says, I'm going to sit this one out because Reisner messed up so bad? The psalmist says this, 
verse 13, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. So what does God do with somebody like Tyler? Tyler, who killed his marriage. Tyler, as a result of his actions, many of the youth he led turned their backs on God. Tyler, who gave Jesus a really bad reputation. What does God do with that? What does God do with our messed up lives? He saves us. In fact, Tyler got to the place eventually that he became broken. And we talked about broken last week, and I encourage you to go back again and listen to the podcast because broken gets you to a spot where you realize how deeply you wounded God and how you have nowhere else to go. He was so broken, he confessed to God and said, okay, this is who I am, this is what I did. And he pleaded to God for mercy. And that word mercy scripturally means this, for a superior to come to an inferior and stoop down and give favor. Give favor? To Tyler? Yeah. What God did for him was simply this. He, he broke away Tyler's chains. The lawsuit eventually was dismissed. Tyler needed a job, so he, he, moved, he went back to an, another town and, and he started working for a guy that had heavy machinery and heavy equipment and he began working heavy equipment and came really good at it. And then eventually he figured, you know, I could do this for a living and not have to be paid by them. I can do this. So he started his own heavy equipment company and it prospered. He still carried the weight of what he had done to his family and his kids. His heart was broken. And then he befriended a woman who awakened his broken heart. She was a follower of Jesus. They fell in love, and they are happily married. God brought him out of darkness. God broke away his chains. But you say, but he didn't deserve it. Do any of us? Remember, God is big in commitment. In fact, the psalm says this, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. You say, well, that's it, I'm not good. Okay, let's define good. Good actually means someone who throws themselves on God. Because there's parts of my life that are still not very good. I mean, I've, I've confessed to you that, that I'm a very impatient driver on Peach Street. Because it just seems that when I'm driving, all the people who are really bad at driving get in front of me. And I think it's a satanic plot. There are just things about me that are still not good. But I think I'm a good man because I, I throw myself on God and say, okay, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to attach myself to you because you're all I got. And when it says the steps of a good man are ordered by God. I used to think that means that God will tell you what you should do. So get over here because you're off the path. Get over here. As I was reading it and, and, and studying it more, I came to the conclusion this is what it actually means. It means that when I'm throwing myself on God and really honest about who I am and who he is and I, and I want to be different, I want to change, it's not that he says, okay, go over there to that path. A lot of times what he says is where you are is where I need you now. And it says this, the, the word he, he establishes your path actually means that as you put your foot down, he brings the ground up and makes it solid for you. 
as he is directing you. He'll get you there. About 30 years ago, my father lost his path. And he felt like he was in the midst of wandering in, in his own wilderness. Because wilderness is something you're supposed to cross over. You're not supposed to be in the middle of it all the time living. The stress was intense and threats were common toward him. He was asleep one night in the middle of all of this when he awakened just suddenly. And he says, I don't know if my eyes were open or closed, but all I know is that I saw a man standing next to my bed. And he said, I felt peace. And then I realized that there were others standing next to him, and they, they started on the left side of his bed, then to the foot of the bed, then surrounded this side, then it filled the room, and then went out through the house, and then it began to, to enter out into the community. And, and my father, who is, a, who is a Jesus follower, said, God, what is this? And God said, these are the messengers, the angels I have sent to protect you and to guide you where you need to go. My dad said then, then what seemed to be just a second, he realized, because he, he knew what time it was when he awakened, he looked at the clock, and he said just what, what seemed to, to, to be just seconds had been a whole hour of all, of all this, and, and, and he was guided, he was protected. Even in the midst of all of that, he had a massive heart attack because of the stress, and as a, as a result, we went to God and prayed, and, and in a matter of weeks after he got recovered, he went to the doctor and, and, and workman's comp, he was supposed to die, the workman's comp came back and said, we're not going to pay anything because we have no signs in your body that you had a heart attack. So that happened to my dad. About a month, month and a half ago, maybe two months, my mom, who's been dealing with the stress of my dad's death, He'd come home from church on a Sunday. The church was gathering, and she met with them, and then she came home, and she, she sat down in her chair, and she's just exhausted by this process, feeling like she doesn't know her own path. And she fell asleep. She intended to go to the gathering of the church that meets on Sunday night, but she fell asleep and would have slept all the way through it, except suddenly she was awakened, and there was this man standing in front of her. I said, Mom, did it scare you? She said, no, it was just peace. And then there were no words, but then he just disappeared. I said, Mom, what was that? She said, I know exactly what it was. It was, first of all, God telling me that the messengers he had sent to help your father was still with me. To bring me to that place that's safe, to guide me. And she said, I also know that I was to be awakened, so I was supposed to go back to that gathering of the church that evening because God had something there for me, and I would have slept through it. I mean, that's quite an alarm clock, if you ask me. <laughs> and you don't hit that one for snooze. You just, you get up, you go. And so she went to the gathering of the church, and the person speaking that night began to lay out for her everything that she had been asking God about what she should do next. He laid it out in biblical teaching so she knew exactly that she was on the right path, what steps she should take, and where she would find community that would fill the gaps. My mom may feel at times still fallible but she's getting unstuck. And I want to propose to you another thing this morning, and it's this. 
that our lost wanderings can actually be God's path. That you may think that you're lost, you may think it's not coming together, it's not the way you thought it should be, but I'm telling you that, that the steps of a person who are leaning on God, he will make solid, and that path you think you're off may be exactly the path you're, you're on at the moment, even though you don't see it. Because here's what God does. The psalmist says this. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. He let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works, to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Do you feel like you're stuck in, in failure? Not if you're stuck in God's love. Then we get to choose. So how do we respond? On your notes this morning, we give you some steps to live this out, and I encourage you to do so. The first step is this. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to encourage you that every day you give him thanks that he is good, that he is bountiful, that he is cheerful, he is happy to see you, that he is beautiful, that the beauty of God will, will filter into your life. I, mean, I remember a, a, a man who's, who's got a prophetic ability coming out of, out of Africa, and, and I met with him, and we are talking. Pam and I were there with some friends and with this guy and his wife, and they were actually speaking prophetic words over us. And I had made mention. They said, how are things going? And this was a couple years ago. I said, well, Erie's tough. Erie's, just, Erie's tough, and, and, and the economy's bad, and there's things happening, and it's, just, it's tough. And, and they rebuked me afterwards. They said, no, no, God wants you to know that you shouldn't say Erie's tough because God's glory is being revealed everywhere. Look for his glory because his glory is in Erie. Find it and give thanks for it. So look around your situation because God's glory is there and give thanks that he is good. Secondly, cry out. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. Cry out. Tell him what you're feeling. And if you're frustrated with God, tell him. He already knows it. It's not like, oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) He knows it. Thirdly, tell your story to community. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. This doesn't mean tell your story about your misery. Oh, if God only would do what I asked him to do. And use that accent too. That's really helpful. (laughs) Would you tell community what he's already done for you? How he cleansed you of your sins? How in the past he's done these things and how you plan in the future that he will continue to do those things? Share that with it. That's why community is important. You cannot walk this, this, this struggle alone. You can't. That's why community is so vitally important. That's why, why I, I, just, I urge you not to make your gathering with this community of faith one time a month. This is not some ritual. This is our survival. This is our, our not even our survival, but, but, but our growth that we become stronger. We, we, and I'm going to tell you, this, this, is, this is just, I'm, I'm telling you what I think. I think things are getting worse. I think they're going to get worse. The scripture said they're going to get worse. And if we're not strong now, how can we be strong in the future? So I'm telling you, we must dig deep into his scripture and we must dig deep into relationships so that we can do this together. Amen. So Stand. And for just this moment in this place, I'm going to ask you just to begin the process. You you may be feeling lost. You may be feeling trapped. You may be feeling disillusioned. 
But I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. Maybe what you need to do is just now give thanks. Maybe what you need to do is cry out. And then later on through this week, talk to community and tell your story. You say, I've never done that before. So, do it. Because that's what God said that he wanted us to do if we want to get unstuck from our fallibility. So just a moment, I just, I just want you to just center in as if you're looking to, to God face to face, because you really are. And just with inside of you, just now, either just begin the process, say, I'm going to give you thanks because you're good, or I want you to say, I'm crying out to you because I'm just dying inside. And I'm going to ask you that what you began now, you will continue through the week. Find those moments where you can focus in directly with God. Don't let anything distract you. There's a whole lot of things around you that might be nice or good, but they are not the thing you need right now. And if you keep doing the same things you've been doing and the failure's there, you're never going to get out of it. So you need to do something new, and this is the new thing. So now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.